If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. <clears throat> We've been talking about this Safely Home series where we're learning from Jeremiah and the issue or the, air, the time, uh, time period where the people of Judah were taken into captivity into Babylon for 70 years. So we're trying to glean from the same kind of community issues that were taking place at that particular time that Jeremiah addressed and thinking about how if we were to address those same issues in our day and time today, how he might do that. It's not very difficult because Jeremiah was dealing with his neighbors, his friends, his community as he preached to them for the 40 years that he had his ministry. His effort was to try to activate the community of believers because they had gravitated towards activities that were leading them to death instead of life. And in their particular case, this was literal death and not just symbolic or spiritual. Jeremiah was warning his community, his neighbors, his friends, that if they didn't obey God, and in this particular instance, uh, submit themselves to the kingdom of Babylon, surrender to them, uh, in which if they surrendered, they would be taken into captivity for a short period of time, 70 years, as had been predicted by the prophets, even by uh, King Solomon years before. That if they did that, they would be safe, and God would then use that remnant to restore. But if they refused to obey God and follow after the... I, uh, the, uh, the activities of idolatry of the community, that they would die certain and cruel death. And I don't want to get into a lot of the, the graphic ways that Jeremiah describes that, but if you read through Jeremiah, you see what God says about what he's going to do to those who don't obey. And we might think, well, how could God do that? Well, the question is, how could they disobey God after all the things he had done for them? So we've talked about this for, for the year now. We're in there, our focus here on Jeremiah. And the question that we have before us today is how can we kind of have the kind of community activation that will help our communities turn away from the pattern or the path of death that they are on towards a path of life? And this is not just uh, spiritual. We're talking about literal now, culturally. Um, it doesn't take much for us to just sit back and take a look at how our culture is devolving into death. And it's not a quick kind of death. Uh, it may come uh, sure and slow, but it is a community or it is a culture in which we see more death than we see hope in life. Now, as a church and as a community of believers, we're the remnant that Jeremiah preached to that said, we're going to obey God no matter what happens. Even if culture goes into captivity, we will remain faithful to the Lord. We'll be in a position for the restoration when God calls us or when he might restore our culture, our country. Uh, we need to be in a position where we can be a part of that restoration and it really is important that we understand how we can activate our little communities so that it activates the medium and then bigger sized communities, meaning we activate our own personal communities that activates our larger county, statewide communities that activates our national sense of community of believers. What we're trying to do, if we want to put a... Um, a label to it is to bring our culture, our communities back from death to life. We need to activate that. Now you might be thinking that's a very difficult thing to do. It sounds like a big, tall order, and it's really not necessary. But there has been an effort by those concerned with the declining health of our communities. They don't see it as a spiritual lack of health, but they see it more of as a physical, emotional, uh, maybe even mental. So we have those that are trying to develop strategies to provide more facilities and more festivities for those in the community that will promote community interaction and physical, emotional, and spiritual fitness. 
Just this weekend, we have a festival going on in, or are there two? Are they, do we still have the competing festivals? There are two festivals going on at the same time. Uh, is it, uh, it's the uh, Annie Oakley and the Gathering at the Garst. And we, can, we all remember when those were the same thing. Uh, when we first started getting involved with that years ago, it was out at the Garst Museum. When we started our French fry booth, we were making, uh, raising funds for kids to go to, to CIY and some things like that. It was very profitable, and I remember we almost killed Jack Wine that first year, uh, cutting and making uh, those fresh-cut potatoes. Jack, you remember that? Do you, you remember how we almost killed you? Uh, so we have these kinds of festivals. You ask yourself, why do we have these types of things? I mean, it's not just the only thing. But there's all kinds of events that are going on, and if you break it down, it's really because there are organizers, stewards, if you want to call them, that feel like there are opportunities for us to activate our sense of community and our idea of life if we do things like that, if we have those kinds of festivals or if we build facilities like recreation centers. I know in the bigger cities, you'll go in and you'll see a recreation center that has been built, and that is so that the people can have a place where they can come be physically fit, you know? So they'll get in their car, they'll drive all the way down to the recreation center, and then they'll put on all their gym clothes, and then they'll go walk around a track in a circle or, you know, swim in the pool that's there. Well, when we think about that, effort, key to the success of those kinds of things, is the information that the stewards or shepherds or the servants of those ideas provide to the neighborhood so that they can get the people who are in the community aware and activated in the effort to promote this idea of living over dying. Now the official term for this is community activation. And there are different groups that are like Rebuild Health and things like that. They, they make that their business to activate the community to promote living over dying. Now, we might applaud such an effort, and we might be in competition with such an effort as a church. But when we think about it, it's not anything that's new. There's always been someone trying to shepherd or steward or to uh, lead people to a certain <coughs> kind of activity that they think will bring them from death to life. <coughs> Excuse me. And when we see that effort that's done, sometimes those who do it, they have a good motivation but oftentimes there is an evil motivation that's behind that. Now we talked about that more last week, so if you missed the sermon last week, you can listen to that, go on our YouTube uh, Palestine Church of Christ channel, you can subscribe there and listen to all the past sermons, or you can go on our podcast on anchor.com, the, we just have the sermons there if you want to listen to those. But that's exactly what Jeremiah was trying to do in his community. He sensed that they were declining in spiritual health, which was leading to a decline in their physical health, which meant that they were headed towards death. And in their particular sense, there was the added uh, impetus of the fact that God said that if they did not obey him, he was going to bring swift judgment upon them. Now, Jeremiah, he tried to encourage his community, his neighbors, to choose life over death. And if there's a theme in all of the book of Jeremiah, it is that. Jeremiah was helping them choose life over death. And for some, not the majority, for some, they did choose life over death. They were obedient to God. And even though they ended up in captivity over a 70-year period, taken into captivity over three or four different times of exile, they were at least prosperous in the land of Babylon. And so much so that they were able to come back and restore the temple and the city in Jerusalem 
as Ezekiel and or as Ezra and Nehemiah write about, as Daniel said would happen. But for those who did not believe, like King Zedekiah, who, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, refused to believe they were destroyed. Their families were hurt. Jeremiah 32, verse 32 through 35. Jeremiah writes, The people of Israel and Judah have provoked me by all the evil they have done. They, their kings and officials, their priests and prophets, the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. And though I've taught them again and again, they would not listen or respond to my discipline. They set up their vile images in the house that bears my name and defiled it. They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Moloch. Though I never commanded, nor did it ever enter my mind, that they should do such detestable things and so make Judah sin. Jeremiah just gives a couple examples here of the kind of activities that the community was involved in that was leading them to death. They were turning their back on God. And I think when you look at the word picture here, they turned their backs to me and not their faces. That's an effort of communication to God. We're not going to listen to you. We don't want to see you. And instead they worshipped the idol gods of Baal. And even to the point that they sacrificed their own sons and daughters to Moloch in the valley of death. Now, God never commanded such things. It never even entered in his mind. It was not even part of his teaching that they would do anything like this. So their activities were leading them from life in which they were the chosen nation of God into death, in which they would be judged and become an example to the world of what happens when you disobey him. Now, time after time, Jeremiah was instructed to tell his neighbors, those in his community, the way of life God was putting before them. And sometimes we think that there was some kind of mystical, magical way that this was done. As if when Jeremiah spoke, everybody said, oh, Jeremiah, you're so wonderful. Oh, I just love everything you say. This is fantastic information. Thank you for sharing it. Do you think that's the response Jeremiah got? No. Nah. As a matter of fact, those who were in competition with him in the message, they were very critical of Jeremiah. They made fun of him. They even tried to hurt him physically, throwing him in a well. They wanted to kill him, but God intervened. But how did Jeremiah handle this? Jeremiah took full advantage of the opportunities given him by God to help his community learn how to choose life over death. He did this by helping them learn, by loving them with his actions, and living among them as an example of choosing life over death. Think about how he loved them with his actions, even though they tried to hurt him, even though they spit upon him and wanted to kill him, he continued to love them by telling them the truth. It would have been easy for him to say, you know, I really, I'm really not feeling like you love me, so I'll, I'll change and I'll be accommodating and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, uh, enable you in your sin and then maybe you'll love me. But that doesn't work either, you know. He was living among them as an example of choosing life over death. He was willing to make the sacrifice and be treated as an outsider, even though he was God's selected prophet. Now, historically, the choice between life and death was unorthodox in Jeremiah's day. He pleaded with his community to surrender to the enemy, to accept captivity as God's way to life. 
Jeremiah's neighbors and community needed his godly insight to navigate through an incredible period of chaos that they would go through. Just think how chaotic it was. The descriptions, again, the graphic nature of the descriptions of when the siege would come and the Babylonians would come into the city and the things God said would happen to the adults and their children. They would be humiliated. They would not die an honorable death. But those who listened to him, the remnant, they became the seed that would restore the city and the temple preparing the way for Jesus. And even though it took a total of 70 years, depending on, and you can, different um, historians figure how that 70 year period took place. But the 70 year period that they were in captivity was God's teaching them. He was restoring them. He was rehabilitating them. There was a lot of teaching that was going on. There was a lot of f familiar building that was going on. There was a lot of uh, challenges that they faced, like we saw with the story of Esther. But God was preparing them to return, to rebuild the city. And we know historically that meant that they were also preparing the way for Christ to come in his first coming. And they did that by, and again, it took another several hundred years before Christ would come. But all of that was part of God's plan envisioned and uh, expressed by Daniel in the prophecy of Daniel. And laid out before the Israelites and the people of Judah how God was going to uh, rise up a, a kingdom that would challenge Nebuchadnezzar. And then they, he would bring another kingdom that would challenge the, the Persian Empire, the Greeks. And then the Roman Empire would rise up. And then the big rock would come and hit the feet of that uh, statue. And then we would have the establishment of the last kingdom here on earth. And that is the, the church through Christ. And that kind of information, it filled them up and it gave them hope. And whatever they were going through, they believed in the idea of a Messiah, a Savior. It helped them to endure all kinds of horrible tragedies. But also to allow God to establish this community of obedient people that he would bless and see through. God instructed Jeremiah to activate the community. In Jeremiah 21, verse 8, he said, Therefore, furthermore, he said, Tell the people, this is what the Lord says. Seeing I'm setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Now, when he says, tell the people, there's an agent here that takes place in the words that we speak. And what God is reminding Jeremiah to do, and it is uh, typified in the whole idea of Jesus being the Word. And the Word was God, it was with God. It is the Word that saves. And Jeremiah was bringing this Word, this truth. And sometimes we forget, depending on what's going on in our culture, that truth is the thing that sets us free. And that God calls every generation of believers to speak the Word. And this... Speaking of the word, the truth is what activates our community from death to life. I'm setting before you the way of life and the way of death, God said to the people of Judah. There was a clear fork in the road before the Jewish people. One fork which Jeremiah espoused to the community was to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar so that God could activate the plan to prepare them for eventual restoration. The other fork, which was popularized by the bad kings, false prophets and priests, and malcontents in their neighborhoods, would lead to death. It would lead to abuse. It would lead to destruction. It would lead to a, a complete obliteration of their future and their family lines. Now, God predicted of them in Jeremiah 8, verse 3, Wherever I banish them, all the survivors of this evil nation will prefer death to life, declares the Lord Almighty. 
So God was not glowing about the chances that as they were presented with the choice between life and death, that they would choose life. For some reason, the Israelites over and over again showed that choosing death over life, even though it didn't make any sense, and it brought on all kinds of hardship to them, they still did that. And it should be a cautionary tale to us in the church today, especially in the American church, that if we continue to disobey and go our own way and say, well, we're just chosen, we're special. And because we're special, everything will go well for us. Then we might end up with the same kind of results as the Israelites did, who did the same thing and disobeyed. And as we've examined this year, we too have been called to acknowledge that there is a fork that lies before American Christians. We must acknowledge that we are living in a post-Christian, post-modern, neo-pagan culture that has been taken captive to the hollow and deceptive philosophies of this world rather than a national Christian community living as responsible citizens of God as envisioned by our founding fathers. We can deny it if we want to. We can say, no, no, we're, we're, you know, we're still special. We can choose to take the fork towards life or we can follow those neighbors who are choosing to take the fork towards death. Which path we choose will determine whether our children and grandchildren are part of the great restoration or they are doomed to be destroyed by the idolatry we have placed in their laps, as we talked about last week. Like Jeremiah, it is our privilege to get our neighbors and families on the right path through community activation. It's happening all the time. There are people all around us, the stewards, the shepherds, the servants, who want to speak because they say, this is what will make us healthier as a community, as a nation. And a lot of that has become politicized. But how do we respond? Well, community activation is really just telling all the people we know that God is putting before us the way that leads to life and warning them that they are unintentionally on a path towards death. They may not like to hear it or may not want to hear it, and we have to be gentle and respectful as we share it, as Peter reminds us. But we need to remind people they're on a path towards death. Next week, we uh, are going out to the Macedonies for our annual church picnic. We're going to have some burgers and hot dogs, and you can bring a side dessert, something to drink if you want. But one of the things that Roxanne uh, always insists on is that if you have little ones, they need to wear life jackets. Why is that? Well, pond's not clear, so if a little one heads towards the water, it would be easy for them to go under and, you know, you could, get, you could lose them. So if we're all sitting out there, let's just kind of picture we're out there next week. It's not going to be 90 degrees. It's going to be like 75 and 20% uh, humidity, and it's going to be sunny, and it's going to be beautiful, and uh, we're going to have a delicious hamburger or a hot dog and uh, some, uh, hmm, think about maybe beans. Mm, I, can, I, taste, I can taste some beans. Uh, so we're sitting out there after we've eaten and we're all just enjoying the water and visiting. And there's a little child, uh, let's say uh, uh, Nora's there. You know, she's little. She's heading for the water. She doesn't have on a life jacket. And we know that, uh, I don't know if she's a good swimmer or not. Is she a pretty good swimmer yet? Nor? If she has a lifetime. If she has a lifetime. <laughs> All right. So Nor's heading for the water, and Jack sees her. And, uh, you know, he thinks to himself, you know, there are other people that will probably, you know, keep her from going in the water. She, she'll be all right. Or he might think, you know, I, when I was her age, my dad just threw me in the pond, and I had to learn to swim. Or he might think, no, I better go save that little girl because I love her so much. I don't want her to go into that water and, and die. Which you think Jack might do? Which would you do? You go after him. 
Now, the same thing is true of what's going on culturally. Let me say, well, my kids, they're not really involved in church, or you know, my grandkids, they don't really think about church too much. And you've, allow, uh, you've kind of uh, abdicated to whatever powers around you to, to speak to their heart and mind. Say, so, well, you know, they don't want to listen to me. Well, they don't want to listen to most of the things that they're listening to, but someone's always talking to them in their ears or through their eyes or through their hearts, through their little devices that we get for them, right? You know, someone's telling them something. And it is our responsibility to realize that they're tottering dangerously into dark water. <laughs> and the way that God has given for us to save them is to speak up. Now this is described in the New Testament simply as evangelism. It is when we activate in the hearts and minds of those in our community the way of life. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And how do we teach them? Well, we teach them through evangelism. We tell them the good news. We tell them that Jesus is the only way to life. Not one of many choices, but he is the way to life. Now, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, you can't say that. You can't be exclusive because that's hateful. No, that's not. It's loving when you know it's true. And it is when we activate in the hearts and minds of those in our families, in our communities, this way of life, that God can do something with that. We do this basically by teaching people to learn about this life, by proving we have found it by our demonstration of love, and living according to the Spirit, bringing about God's peace in our own families and in our own communities. So let's talk about, let's unpack this. It's important that we stay in our lane. Last week we talked about community activity and how there's a lot of activities that people can be involved in. And there's a temptation for the church to try to match or compete with the world in the kinds of activities which have drawn them and adults and adolescents and children away from the church. So if we were to do that, we could put all our resources to starting youth leagues and, and maybe opening up a, a, an adult entertainment uh, uh, facility here at the church, you know, where people can, it used to be, well, let's get together for coffee, but, you know, coffee probably won't do it for most, uh, you know, young adults these days. So we'd have to compromise a little bit if we we're going to uh, be like the world. But God says you don't have to be like the world. You've got to stay in your lane. And your lane is simply to this. You're ordained for community activation as part of the church by sharing the gospel, showing the gospel, and submitting yourself to the gospel. I remember back in the 80s and 90s when I was a youth minister, the idea here was that we would compete with the world by having even better, more awesome activities and fun things for kids to be involved in than they could be involved in out there in the world. And of course, the competition was, you know, the kids would go out uh, drinking and maybe doing some other things that they should not be doing. So let's have activities all the time for our children so that we can save them from uh, making bad decisions in their lives. And I always fought against that. I always told our parents that we are here to compliment you, not to complete. We compliment you because you're the ones that are raising your kids. So whatever we can do, let's do it together. So we try to do a lot of family things that were important for families to come together. And we try to do fun things that families could do. But still, the pattern was set. And so those kids who grew up in the 80s and the 90s, they have grown up now, and they expect to be entertained in every, in every way. You will have some kind of festivity for me, will have some kind of fun for me, or I will not be there for you. And there are a lot of worldly things that like to accommodate that. So they'll do everything they can to create fun and and fanciful activities for people to be involved in. So what do we do? Well, we got to stay in our lane. Our lane, first of all, is sharing the gospel so our community can be activated by what they learn from us and from the word. 
John chapter 5, verse 24 through 25 says, Verily I, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when de the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Two things here. First of all, we tell them, and when they hear these words, it helps them cross from death to life. And secondly, it doesn't matter if they're dead, if they hear the word, they can cross over from death to life. So how they will, will they hear unless we help them learn? And how will they learn unless we tell them there is a path towards death, there's a path towards life, the activities that you're involved with are leading you towards death, but let me talk to you about those things you can do that lead towards life. And primarily, if you want to simplify it, you say you believe in Jesus and you do everything as we talked about last week in his name, according to his wisdom, in, 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 according, uh, in, in obedience to God. In Jesus' name, through his wisdom, in obedience to God. And if you teach them those things, then you can save them from death to life. And that's just what Jesus wants us to share. That's the lane. Community activation is the result of what people learn from the stewards of that community. And we are those stewards. You might think, well, what's a steward? Well, a steward is someone who cares and understands that they need to help the people that are in their care. And there are a lot of people who are self-appointed stewards in culture. They say, well, I think I care enough to tell other people how they should live their lives. But God has appointed us in the church to be the stewards of this world and to share what is true so that they can learn and then grow and be safe from death to life. Why? Because we are more efficient when telling people about Jesus because our words are multiplied by the very power of the Holy Spirit that comes through us, through the words, and into their hearts and minds. You know, why don't people listen? It's because we don't really say. We just kind of assume that they're, they, they're watching us or that we, if we give them, you know, read, we give them a Bible or a, a devotion book or whatever, so they'll read it and then, then magically they'll, you know, they'll be saved. But you probably remember the day when, when your parents used to sit you down and instruct you in a lot of things about life. And that's how you learned. You ever heard of the term junk mail? Junk mail? Do you ever get it? Did you do you know that junk mail efficiency is only about 4.4%? They'll get about 4.4 people who respond to the junk mail that is sent out, and it's even worse for spam email. It's like 2% of email spam. You might think, that's horrible. That's a horrible rate of return, you know, how much they spend millions and millions of dollars on and, and cut down uh, hundreds and hundreds of trees to send us all these things. And sometimes we look at them, sometimes we don't, but they don't care because they're going to get 4.4% people respond. Is it worth it? You know, there are statistics that show with evangelism that people are more moved by a friend or family member sitting down and then just talking to them about their faith and about God and about Christ Jesus, that that's the most effective means of evangelism. If you think that bringing people into church, you know, to visit church, and, and, and I know you think I'm an awesome preacher, but about 1% of people who come into the church that uh, their friends, neighbors bring in actually respond to the gospel message. But you can change that rate exponentially by you as a friend, as a family member, as someone in the community, sitting down with them and just talking to them about faith and what is true. Well, you say, well, that's not my responsibility. Uh, hold on to that thought till we get to the end. Because our lane is sharing the gospel so our community can be activated by what they learn. It's also our lane is to show the gospel, so our community can be activated by our demonstration of love. 
Do you know why John 3.16 is a memorable verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? It's because it expresses the greatest gift of love that's ever been given to mankind, to humankind. Love is a powerful demonstration of what is true. And in the early church, that was obvious because the people were willing to die, be martyred, crucified for their faith. But more importantly, they were willing to love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13 through 14 says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And anyone who does not love remains in death. It goes on to say in verse 18 there, 1 John 3, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Actions and in truth. Community activation is the result of what people see in the shepherds of that community. And a shepherd is someone who, Jesus is the great shepherd, and the image we get is him loving his sheep, even their stupid animals. He still loves them. He still shepherds them. He leads them where they need to go. We, in the church, are those shepherds. And we're most effective when loving people like Jesus. Now, there's a lot of, you know, effort out there in, in all kinds of um, organizations to say we care and we love. But again, as we talked about last week, those things are going to be empty if they're not of God. They're not ordained of God. Just think about how powerful... One small group of people can be if they would just love like Jesus loved. If they were willing to sacrifice and lay down their lives so that the truth could be known. Rodney Stark research showed that the reason the church growed so quickly uh, in the first few hundred years of his existence is because they were, out, they were able to convince wealthy people to become part of the church because it gave them an opportunity to see their charity or the gifts that they gave go to something that actually mattered. They were really helping people. He mentioned how the church transformed um, the whole idea of women in the family how women were given equal uh, standing to men in the family and in faith. As God says, there's no male, no female, no, no um, slave or free. We're all one in Christ. No Jew, no Gentile. They were able to bring women who were often rejected and isolated in culture into the church and loved them and loved the orphans and loved the widows and loved those who were sick. And that became the very DNA idea of the church. And I'm not quite sure how we've lost that. But we don't do it because we want the church to grow. We do it because we are being good shepherds like Jesus. And that's what causes the church to grow. It attracts people who are looking for authenticity and genuineness. Now, this is going to be very, very important in the next 10 years, this next decade for the church. Because there's a lot of people out there making lots of noise. They're saying, we want to do good, we want to help. And then months later, we find that they are buying homes in Beverly Hills or an estate in the Caribbean. And they raised all kinds of money from, from, uh, from sports teams and businesses and and I mean big commercial businesses, and then what good are they actually really doing? And so there'll be, a, there'll be a moment here where people are going to say, hey, what is really genuine? What's really authentic? And this is our opportunity in the church to show the gospel through our demonstration of sincere, genuine love. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, 
it looks like genuine love in every moment of our day with everyone that we know, with our family, with our friends, with the people that we work with. It's that we care about them. And Jesus cared so much for us that he died so that we would know what is true, what would bring us life, and that's our lane we need to stay in. We need to help people understand God loves them and that Christ died for them. And we do that by staying in the lane of submitting to the gospel so that our community can be activated by our spiritual power, our spiritual life. And if we are filled with the Holy Spirit as believers and as a church family, it has a, it has a infectious, a positive kind of infectious impact. Uh, just like we're trying to build herd immunity, you know, against this horrible COVID thing. Uh, and we do that by overcoming uh, and, uh, well, I don't want to get into all of that. But as Christians, when we are spirit-filled and we have power and we are overcomers, it is, it is inspiring to the people around us. It's inspiring to our neighbors, our friends, those people, and our families. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 through 7 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Then verse 11 and 12. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. We are to let the Spirit give life to our mortal bodies so that it is as much as a miracle as when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and has the same kind of impact on the people around us, where they see such genuine authenticity in us, the spiritual power in us, and it transforms them. Because we're most effervescent when living according to the Spirit. Community activation is the result of what people see in the spiritual, the truly spiritual of that community. And we are those spiritual neighbors. Anybody looking for the Great Dark County Fair? Or are you dreading it? How many are you dreading? It? How many are you looking forward? My kids. Okay, so... A lot, uh, lot of electricity with, uh, and I don't mean just what they use during the great, great dark time, but there's just a lot of excitement and enthusiasm, and it starts to build as the year goes on. Who's the entertainment this year? Do we have any? Who? Never heard of him. Yes. Is he country? What else would it be around here? Although, I remember, uh, who was it that? Some rock and roller from years ago that was that came in. Oh, REO Speedway. Yeah. <laughs> so Point of Grace. I remember them when they were here. Different things like that. But you know, there's a buzz that's starting to build with the Great Dock County Fair, and people are excited because there's going to be ribbons and showings, and you know, we got to get things ready, and and then afterwards, everybody's just exhausted that they just collapse, right? But we think about. Just the idea of the fair. It's been around since 1853. Do you know that? And it's been at its present site since 1878, I think, or 75, something like that. Uh, we've been around since 1873, right? Is that... What's our password? <laughs> yeah, PAL CC at 1873. Okay, so... Um, you know, the church has been around for a long time. The fair has been around. They're expecting quarter million people. And no wonder last year was kind of depressing. You know, you couldn't have the fair. There was kind of a, you know, a lag in the economy. But there's a hope that this be a boost to the economy and there'll be people coming out spending money and being excited and buying food and people be raising money and there'll be races and competitions and 
all kinds of things. And you think, why do we, why would you just go to any effort to have anything like that at all? And more than anything else is to give a spiritual boost to this county. Spiritual, emotional. Now, not necessarily godly spiritual, although at one time in the history, there's indication that that was the case. It might, have, it, might have, it might have become more commercial now than it was back in the days. But it's still going to be a, not just a physical, but it will be an emotional, mental, spiritual experience for a lot of folks. A lot of enthusiasm and excitement. We are the spiritual activators of our community. When we are excited and enthusiastic about life and about what God is doing and we demonstrate that, we show that and we get people involved with that and we're most effervescent when we do that now as I mentioned it's important that we stay in our lane here, we are fully authorized by Jesus to activate our community through the gospel you might have said, I said earlier that's not my job, Matthew 28 18 through 20, Jesus is speaking to the church, he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So first of all, we back that up. We go backwards through this verse. To the very end of the age, what does it mean? It means the church will always be here, working, having opportunities. So don't worry about that part. You know, the church is dying. No, the church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. There might be churches and church groups that close or that they, because they're like those in Judah or in Israel, they're being disobedient and God closes that down for the, for the, for the pure, for those who are in the remnant, the restored. But our job is to go and to make disciples to bring them from death to life as we teach them everything that God has commanded us to. So you might be saying, okay, well, what can I do? Mike, you always throw these big ideas out here. What can I do? Well, here's some simple things you can do. First of all, use all your contacts to invite people to church after you've talked to them about how excited you are about Christ Jesus and what he means to you. And talk to them about Jesus. And you might say, well, I'm not really good on the, you know, talking people face to face. Well, direct mail, social media, email, phone calls. You take your pick. There's a lot of ways we communicate these days. A lot of ways people are communicating with us these days. Just pick one of those and do that. Use your contacts. God has given you a, 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 an unlimited number of people that you have influence over, and he wants you to bring them from death to life. Number two, use your charity to love your neighbors around you. Well, I gave it the office, or I gave my offering, so that's, my, that's all I need to do this week for the Lord Jesus. How about you look around at your neighbors and you say something like this with them in your charity? How can I help you with that? Now, I don't want to volunteer you to do things that are not in your area of giftedness, so don't force yourself into that kind of thing. But how often have you just said, in the name of Jesus, I'd like to help you with that? He said, well, I don't know what my neighbors need help with. Well, we really ought to get to know them a little bit better then, shouldn't we? And then thirdly, use your celebrations to illustrate the life of the Spirit or life in the Spirit. Use your celebrations to celebrate or illustrate the life in the Spirit and not the Spirit's. Hopefully you got that one. Life is in the Spirit, not the Spirit's. Life is found through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He is ready to give life to our mortal bodies in such a way that we are raised to walk in such a richness that our neighbors and our friends will follow, from, follow us into life, even though they might be in death. Now, all year long, we've been talking about this safely home idea. We want to get people safely home to heaven by, having, uh, by promoting safe homes in which we're raising our children and our grandchildren, our progeny. 
and also so that they have a safe place outside of our home to participate. We are talking about the safe communities that we want to build so that they feel that. They, we have a community of believers that are supporting what it is that we're trying to do. All of these things are components to our getting safely home to heaven. So use your contacts. Demonstrate personal charity to those around you. Celebrate in the Holy Spirit with people. That's our lane. And if we do so, then God says He will bless. He will help us reap the benefit of that in our own personal lives and also through the lives of those that we bring to life. And there's no better thing that we could do as a body of believers. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to consider this message this morning, and I pray that as we think about community activation and we see how the world likes to get people involved in all kinds of festivals and festivities so that they can have fun and they can enjoy themselves and they can recreate and, and maybe forget about their problems or their troubles. Well, once those things are over, those problems and troubles are still there. And you have created a lane for us in the church as believers to help people learn, show them love, uh, be an example of spiritual power in our life that will help them get involved in those kinds of things that will do the same. It will fill their lives up. They'll be able to celebrate. They'll be able to have joy. They'll be able to have fun. But when it's all over with, they'll have fulfillment through it. And I ask, Lord, you convict all of us that are here this morning, all of us, in what little and, and small ways we can bring people we know from death to life, especially as we think about our community around us. And I pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let all God's people say.